This episode of Attitude Check is brought to you by Altus Professionals. In the business world, first impressions matter. That's why you want to make sure that you're ready when you meet that person who's going to help take you to the next level. They're going to mentor you, help start your company. You want to make sure your style game is on point so you make the right first impression. So if you're in the market for stylish yet affordable men's professional accessories, I'm talking sunglasses, watches, tie clips, ties, dress socks, you name it, head to altus-professionals, that's A-L-T-U-S-professionals.myshopify.com and make sure you use the promo code ATTITUDE10 for 10% off your entire purchase. They're already really affordable, but make sure you use that promo code to get that extra 10% off. Again, that's altus-professionals.myshopify.com, promo code ATTITUDE10. Make sure you check them out, folks. ones that you've put in place and those routines that you've put in place are all gone because you let one slip at a time. So have those routines and rhythms kind of slipped out of place because they just weren't working anymore or was it external factors? I think it was a mix of external factors and also, yes, that some of them weren't working anymore. As a leader, the person that you lead first is yourself. And so what I'm learning through this is that I need to be a little bit more proactive in how I pivot. If I notice that one routine isn't working, then I need to cut that routine out and put another one in place rather than letting them all slip and then having to completely rebuild all of my routines and disciplines. And as context, I think it really falls back onto the idea of discipline equals freedom. Not necessarily saying that your entire day has to be regimented and you can have no flexibility or freedom, but it really does give you something to fall back to when you have something that you know you're going to do every single day. Um, One of the things I've been trying to do is making sure I read every night before I go to bed no matter what time I get home. There have been a couple nights where I get back at 11.30 and I really don't want to read, but you know, I just sit down, read five pages or so and call it a night and just being able to fall back to that every day has really given me a sense of comfort almost and, and it really helps build that discipline as well. Having those habits in place is really powerful. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode of Attitude Check with Mundy Ross. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community, effect change, and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we have Mundy Ross with us. Mundy is an awesome lady, and I'm excited to have her here on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Mundy is the owner at Amalgre, which is an upcoming venue that's actually launching in August. Yes. Yes. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so, Mundy, we always like to start off with a quick icebreaker question just to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. And since you're the owner of a venue and bar, I thought this would be fitting. Um, if you had to describe yourself as a drink, whether that's you know a cocktail or some type of coffee or a soda or anything, what would you describe yourself as? Oh, that is such a good question. Well, I think I'd probably go with, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased because uh, I have a husband who dabbles in whiskey, uh, but we have this fantastic cocktail on the menu that's old, but it's my tried and true favorite. It's the Chai Moonshine at Axe in the Oak. 
and I just love the spiciness because I think I'm a little on the spicy side <laughs> of life. Um, it's got the moonshine, which has that just like the grittiness of life. So I think that for me, it would be the chai moonshine. Gotcha. Spice and grit. That's a good combination. And for those of you that don't know Mundy, she is very much a starter. She's been involved with a lot of different things over the, the past couple of years, and she's been one of the people that has helped Colorado Springs move forward. So it's been cool mm-hmm. hearing about how she helped shape Colorado Springs through her dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with hospitality. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And thank you. Very kind. So, Mundy, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you're at now? So, um, I always say that my entrepreneurial journey starts with a cookie. But before I deep dive into that, I came out to Colorado Springs in 03. I packed up my car. I didn't know a soul. I found my apartment online. I was currently living um, and going to Oklahoma State. So it's Stillwater, Oklahoma. I'm an Okie. I just knew I needed change. And away I came to Colorado Springs and I walked the streets of Tejon to find my first job. So all that to say, like, I have always kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit. I, I don't always play it safe. Uh, fast forward, I meet my husband on a blind date. And <laughs> uh, shortly after we got married, we went uh, on a tour together. So we started touring, living out of a suitcase, traveling to a different city each week. And through that experience of traveling the world, you come off the road and it's like, how on earth can you sit at a desk from nine to five when you've been able to experience the world the way you have? So my ability to like think that way, it just kind of got squashed by this experience. So when I got off the road, I also, when I was on the road, fell in love with food and beverage, and I would explore Michelin star restaurants and Zagat rated restaurants. And so I came off the road and I knew I wanted to explore something in food. And so after a lot of just kind of brainstorming and talking with Casey, I came up with the concept to launch a food company called Salt and Butter Co. Baking uniquely flavored cookies. My tagline was not your grandma's cookies. So, I want some cookies now. I, well, you can get some at El Magre. Hey-oh, it's going to be our oh, dessert like menu. <laughs> yeah, selfish plug there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it started with a cookie. And I guess for me personally, it's about starting small and starting smart. When I started Salt and Butter, I started with a very small budget. And I started in the farmer's markets to give that concept a try without a lot of risk. And it's same with the second concept that I launched. So after um, doing the farmer's markets for a while, it developed these really great relationships with the vendors and small business, maker, uh, small business owners and artisans. And I launched what was called Colorado Collective. And it was actually fueled by that and also an experience I had where when I had this cookie company, I was kind of getting plugged into this group up in Denver that were really supportive of the artisan community there. And so I said, hey, you guys should, they were called Colorado Makers. I said, you guys should support Colorado Springs. I think we have a lot of really great things happening down here. And they're like, no, we're good. We're going to keep it up here. And so that kind of fueled my fire a little bit, right? And then at the time too, there was a lot of young people moving out of Colorado Springs because they complained the culture was lame, like the city was lame, there's nothing to do. And that also fueled my fire a little bit. To create a publication that told a different story that said, no, we are 
a city worth celebrating. Here's some hidden gems. Here's some fantastic people you need to know about. But I started Colorado Collective with $190, a website and some business cards. <laughs> so that's another example of just starting small and starting smart. And so when I launched Colorado Collective, I found a small team of people that could get behind the mission and vision. And we grew over four years to a team of 30 contributors. And even at the time, like even, you know, as we grew, I still, it wasn't necessarily a publication that made money. None of us walked away with a lot of money, but we could get behind the mission of Coco. And that was, we're celebrating Colorado Springs. We're celebrating the Southern region, even the state with our, with our last issue that we put out a couple of years ago of celebrating the beverage industry. We just, the city is worth celebrating and it's packed full of opportunity and really great people. So that kind of led me to Almagre. And I, it's interesting because I feel like I'm kind of, I feel like in a way I'm, I'm the comeback kid because I've been dormant for the last two years because I uh, hit a really hard patch in life. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for closing my storefront. Um, I had a storefront downtown because I wanted to take care of my dad as he was dying. And I think the concept too, is it was a little too soon. If I'm honest with myself, I can't just like fully blame like the closing of my storefront on my dad's dying. I think it, the concept, it was a little too soon, but taking the two years to really ask some hard questions about myself and really like think about the what's next led me to launching Almagre. But you are correct that a lot of what I do and have done in the past has been kind of centered around this idea of hospitality and placemaking, placemaking that brings community together. So many things. First off, thank you for being one of those people that helps Colorado Springs get on the map for being an incredible city because it really is. And it's, it's cool because you were one of those people that five to six years ago saw Colorado Springs for what it was and you wanted to make sure that everyone else knew that. Mm -hmm. And now today it's one of the number one places to live in the U.S. Thank I you. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> and I honestly, God, I do not think of myself that way, but it really, especially after having a really hard two years to be, to have that come out of your mouth really means a lot. So thank you. Thank you for doing everything <laughs> that you do. So I want to backtrack to the beginning of the story. You said you went on a blind date with the man who is now your husband. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Yep. It's a crazy one. Yeah. So, uh, went on a blind date and then, um, went skiing the, I don't know. It was like the blind date was like on a Thursday and I went skiing with some buddies on a Saturday and the roof rack flew off my car. And so I called Casey cause he has a background in automotive. And I said, Hey, can you come look at my car? And we went to the loop as a thank you. Cause at the blind, like on the blind date, I thought, oh, this guy's great. And he would say the same, she's great. We'll be friends. But it was at the loop having margaritas, I blame the loop margaritas, just <laughs> kidding. Um, but we spent four or five hours just talking life, like deep, deep life. And I remember going home to my roommate and I was like, I'm going to marry that guy. <laughs> and I've never felt that way about anybody else. So two weeks later, I had a ring on my finger. So from the time I met him till the time we got married was six months. Wow. And in September, we'll celebrate 14 years. 
well. That's incredible. So we've had we've had some humps in the road or some hurdles, and it's been hard. It's been a hard journey, but well worth it. And now we've got a little buddy. His name is Walker. So what you're telling us is that there are some good decisions that come out of margaritas and. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. In moderation for the listeners, everything in moderation. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the proposal. I mean, obviously the feeling was mutual with him since it was a two week later thing. Mm -hmm. So did he plan some sort of extravagant thing or was it kind of a mutual decision between you two to where it's like, we know this is it and let's just do it. Well, he attempted to plan an extravagant thing. So my parents actually, they're, as mentioned before, from Oklahoma. And so my parents on a whim came out to Colorado Springs and got married and they got married at the sundial at Monument, Monument Valley Park. I'm not even sure the sundial is still there, but it's near the duck pond. And so the plan was to propose to me at the sundial, but before we went to the Mona Lisa and he had this custom necklace made for me and it was in the same size box as the ring. And so when it came time for him to proposed to me at the Mona Lisa, he fumbled this box out that was the necklace. And so he's like talking about all these things, all these reasons why he loves me. And he pulls out this necklace and I was like, thank you. (laughs) Check please. No. Um, But on the way home from dinner, uh, he was like, I got to stop somewhere. And mind you, I don't even know, it's like March and it's now, it's nine o'clock. It's probably 40 degrees outside. And he's like, I got to go somewhere. We got to go somewhere. And so we pull up to the sundown and he's like, get out of the car. Cause I was whining the whole time. Can you please, I just want to go home. Can you take me home? It's like, no. And so, uh, he drug me out of the car by the sundial and proposed to me there. Okay. Yeah. So not quite as planned, but still makes a great story. It makes a great story. That's awesome. Moving a little bit further down that timeline, um, you know, a little bit before we started recording, we we're talking about your world travels, mm-hmm. um, you and Casey's work in uh, theater. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think, you know, a lot of our listeners who are in that younger demographic, traveling the world is obviously something a lot of people want to do. Um, so was there anything about it that was um, specifically challenging and were there things that were surprisingly easy of having a life traveling abroad? Mm, That's a great question. I think one of the hardest things for me was when you're out on the road, your life doesn't stop. So people are getting engaged, people are having babies, things are happening back home that you're not a part of. And you just wish you could press pause. It's like, selfishly, I'm enjoying my life on the road and it's really great fun and I'm doing all these things. But can you guys just like take a pause on your life? Because I'm missing out on these really good things. So the road is really great for the experience, but you do miss out on a lot and you start to get really lonely. I mean, your roadie friends become your instant family and for that, I'm so grateful for the, for that. I still keep in touch with a lot of them when they come through on shows. You know, it, it definitely has its challenges when you miss out on things happening at home. As far as the benefit, I mean, it's tricky because I went into theater and theater, even with rock and roll, we call it the golden handcuffs because it does pay really well. Um, and so it's tricky to get, like, get off the road, especially if you're on a track like lighting or... Uh, automation. It's hard to 
uh, find yourself doing this for 20 years and then coming home and trying to transition. It's like, I'm sure what military feel like when they have been in the military for 20 years and then they transition to civilian life. It's like, I don't even know where I belong in this space. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it pays really well and it's awesome and it's really great and really fun, but the transition can be really hard and it can be lonely and you miss your family. But I mean, to have the opportunity to be in a different city each week and travel and, see the world I can't complain it was amazing and I met some cool people like I told you I met Beyonce what <laughs> Shaq I held a shoe it is really big <laughs> uh, Grand Hill Rosie O'Donnell slash Weird Al Yankovic I mean it was such a crazy ride hands down Weird Al was my favorite one out of all that yes i love it i love it yeah and it's interesting how diverse that group of people are you yeah know, ranging from you know like oprah and Shaq, come on pretty different spectrum so that's really cool yeah it was fun it was really fun any place in particular that you had or that was a favorite for you i loved mexico city a lot i didn't like driving in mexico city but i loved the culture of mexico city and that experience in one place in the states that surprised me the most was Madison, Wisconsin. It was so biker friendly and just beautiful. And I loved the university vibe around the downtown. I don't know, just everything about it. I loved Madison, Wisconsin. It it completely surprised me and Casey. Oh, that's super interesting. You don't get lost very often. <laughs> no, I know, right? So how did that feed into your now track for hospitality? So one of the things that I paid close attention to when traveling was experience of the food. I think I mentioned that going to all these really great restaurants and taking note of not only the guest experience, but the food. And so for me coming off the road, it was a no brainer. I wanted to do something in food. And then I think that also when it comes to whether it's marketing and hospitality or doing the pop-up dinners or publishing books or magazines, excuse me, there is this piece of it that is just about the guest experience and and making sure that you are uh, being the best version of yourself to that guest, to that community member, who whatever that looks like, how translate that however you want. And so for me, like, I, I mean... It, it goes even into Alma Grave, just making sure that we're providing the best guest experience possible. Like when you walk into Alma Grave, you feel like you're walking into home. Monday, you went to college at Oklahoma State. Yes. So what value did that provide for you after you graduated? Well, I majored in sociology. I mean, that and all I, joking aside, I majored in sociology. I minored in studio art and psychology with the intent of going on to grad school to become an art therapist. So it's interesting... I'm not sure, I'm like torn on this, right? Because I have a son and I just heard that rumor has it by the time Walker gets to the age in which he will be going to college, it's going to cost, it could cost up to $300,000. And I feel like we spend so much time. I know for me, it just seemed like the next logical thing. You go on, you get your four-year degree and, and from that you gain opportunity. And with Walker, I'm just kind of like, man, what does it look like for you to go to trade school? There are six figure jobs sitting open for people who are electricians or um, plumbers or whatever. You know, my, my husband went to autom- automotive school and 
he may not be, be using automotive skills right now, but gosh darn it, he can change some brakes and he can do some <laughs> things around the house that I am so grateful for that, you know, I'm sure if he went and got his MBA, like that, that's great, but like he wouldn't be able to change my brakes unless you <laughs> Google it. I don't know. But just that's such a tricky question for me because I feel like sometimes in this day and age where, you know, when I graduated in 03, having the four-year degree made sense. Like it felt like it was your right of passing to be able to get in. And maybe that holds true, but as a creative and as somebody now who sees things so differently, I question it. I don't know. And it may not be for everybody. So as a parent, do you see yourself pushing um, Walker in one direction, whether that's you know going to college or looking at other options before you commit to that four-year program? I mean, he's four. I can't, I'm not there yet, but I'm sure when I get there, I want him to be able to feel comfortable exploring all his options. I really do. I mean, I will admit college, my, my years at Oklahoma State were some of the best years of my life, but it may not be for everybody. And the cool thing about that is, you know, people have said that kids who are under the age of 10 or so, the jobs they're going to be working in the future haven't been invented yet. Right. So, I mean, I guess the same could apply for college in general. We don't know what that landscape's going to look like in 10, 15 years from now. Right. And it could be completely a thing of, you know, maybe college is free or maybe college takes on a different form or right. maybe, you know, the, the tide kind of sways back towards trade and, you yep. know, just entrepreneurship or something like that. So it'll be really interesting to pay attention to. Yep. I'm along for the ride. So one other point I wanted to touch on uh, that you talked about was you leaving uh, Coco or Colorado Collective. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit on that? Because I feel like a lot of people, when they first start a business, um, they get really tied to the idea of this is my baby. This is what I'm going to do forever. Mm -hmm. And it can be really hard to let go of that and move on, even if the time is right. Mm -hmm. um, so would you have any advice or any suggestions or just a thought process someone can walk through to see if it's right for them to you know, move on to something new? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I, I mean, I think I still even, to be honest, I still struggle with a little bit of identity crisis around Colorado Collective. Colorado Collective, and this is just me being incredibly vulnerable, which we'll talk a lot about, like the characteristic or the character trait of a leader that I feel strongly about. But I'm somebody who definitely wears her heart on her sleeve and she's, I um, come with a lot of uh, vulnerability and transparency in, in life. In, in leadership. I say that all because I still struggle with a lot of identity wrapped up in Colorado Collective, even as I head into Almagre. And I'm so, so, so excited about Almagre. But I think with Colorado Collective, it was very outward focused. And I feel like it reached, it had a lot more reach. And not that the venue and the bar is not going to have reach, but it just looks different. I struggle with that. With Coco Crafted, so after I launched the third issue, I, I had an opportunity to go into a storefront downtown where the rent was really reasonable. And I've always wanted to have, this is go back to the, go, going back to the venue thing, I've always wanted to have my own space, right? To create and do things out of. And so I launched Coco Crafted as an effort to bring the mission of Colorado Collective to life, which is, you know, this gathering space to teach different craft classes and workshops and host dinners and such. It just was slow. It was slow to pick up the idea. And I 
struggled, and this is probably some of my insecurities, I struggled with dumping a ton of money into the marketing efforts. And I broke ground, or excuse me, I ribbon cut it on the um, space in March, and my dad was diagnosed with ALS in June. There was a lot of like momentum and effort, and then come June, it was like, I don't even know what any of this looks like anymore. Like, it just all seems like a blur. So I think it's tricky, too, because in my circumstance, something really hard forced me to have to look inward and make some decisions to close chapters. Because it just, when you have somebody dying, it's like, man, nothing really matters. It just puts everything into perspective, right? That's a tricky question for me because I know my circumstance is different, but... You know, I do still wrestle with a little bit of identity crisis and knowing when to shut doors. I mean, it's been so wild, even the last like two or three months, there's been a lot of momentum with Colorado Collective, people liking it and asking when the next issue is coming out. And so then, of course, you're all of a sudden like, well, they still like it. Maybe I should still be doing it. When's the next one coming out? Like, I need to get my team together. Right. But I just... I truly believe looking back, like it was good for the season that it was in, especially as tides were turning in Colorado Springs, as the, as the, the lens in which people were viewing Colorado Springs five or six years ago, like the city sucks. It's lame. It lacks the culture. It's, it's changed. And now with social media being so popular, podcasting, social media influencers, like they're doing a lot of the work that Coco laid groundwork on, if that makes sense. Like, so the, there's, you guys are doing it, right? Like you guys are the ones telling the stories of people doing really great things in our community. So part of me is just like, it's okay to let that go because you laid the groundwork and now there's people taking charge and that's awesome. Mundy, you're very much an initiator. So why are you drawn to initiating as opposed to coming in and finishing what someone else has done? I have always been this way for the good or the bad. I don't know. I, I mean, I remember in high school, I, I just see the vision, right? I don't always see the end, but I see the vision. And I mean, there are definitely times in which I've started a project, finish a project. Uh, but I, I, I mean, as far back, like I said, as far back as high school, I've always kind of had this see it. I see it and I want to do it and I don't know how to achieve it, but I'll make sure I'll get all the right people around me to help me achieve the thing. Um, and then either the chapter will close or I'll hand it off or somebody will see that it could evolve into something different. Um, I've just always been this way, but I will say that I am, am excited on focusing on a Gray. Because it, it, I'm usually also somebody who has a tendency to be a little bit of a yes man and a little bit of like, yes, I'll take on all the things at once. So I'm really excited about owning Almagre and it being like my one thing. I mean, yes, I do boards and committees and such, but it is my one nugget that I am like hanging, my diamond that I'm polishing right now. And I'm really excited about that. Am I dreaming about other things? Uh, yeah, you betcha. I do have a couple of ideas like they're back there and I want to do them, but I'm excited about 
just focusing on one thing right now and doing it really well and seeing it through till the end. Yes, I, I am that, but I'm excited to see what happens with El Magre and seeing it through. And that's exciting to me. And I love having that point of that complementary partnership of being an initiator and a finisher. And it seems like you've done a really great job of finding people who can help you, you know, build your idea and finding people with the right skill sets to make your idea flourish and grow. Has there been anything in particular that you've tried or looked at when you're building a team? Or what advice would you have if you're trying to find people to compliment you on a project? Well, I'll speak to Omagre. I definitely live in the right brain space. So for me, especially with the project this large, it was so vital for me to find somebody. And I realized this with Coco Crafted um, and even with Colorado Collective, like I really struggled in the financial space, like really wrapping my head around budgets, sticking to them, following them, understanding them. So to partner up with somebody who lives in the black and white and I live in the gray has been so great because I can trust the process and I trust that she's getting it done. Like she's handling the budget. She's handling the number. She's looking at all those things. So that it allows me to be over here living in my right brain side, creative gray to achieve the marketing, to daydream about the events and the festivals and things that we'll be hosting that I get to focus finally on a project where I get to live wholly in like this space that I belong in. For this project in particular, and just knowing your blind spots or knowing um, the parts of you that like you know you're just not very good at, aligning yourself with those people who are who have those gifts. That's it. What advice do you have for our listeners on narrowing things down? Because as an, initi- an initiator, like you talked about, you have so many ideas and you want to start all of them, and you do start them. Mm-hmm. But you also have to narrow your vision because you can't do all of these things. I mean, I think first you just really need to evaluate the need, right? I think you also need to evaluate evaluate your motives. Like, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why do you feel called to this or that? And then you're also looking into the community and you're saying, what are the needs, right? Like, what are the things that are missing? Or how can I be an added value to this community by doing this X, Y, Z. So I think that's really the most important thing is like you're checking your motives and you're looking for the needs in the community. And I, I truly believe that you can do a lot of things well, but you can do one thing great. So for me, it's like these little ideas that I have running in the back of my head. I keep a journal when things pop in my head. I document these ideas. And then I just prioritize these ideas based on like my idea of what I said, starting small, you know, starting small, starting smart, like look at these ideas, like what out of these ideas, what really would fulfill a need in the community, you know, or is it just because I want to do the same because it's cool, right? Like it may elevate me as a person like that. Those ideas just kind of boring. They die. (laughs) They go to die if you make it about yourself. And I think that's such an important topic in today's culture, especially in the startup or entrepreneur community, because if you listen to a lot of people or just the the overall culture of startups in general, so many people have this idea and their sole purpose for the idea is I'm going to build this. I'm going to flip it. I'm just going to sell it, you know, try to make an IPO or just make Mm a, you know, boatload of money and Mm -hmm. then go live on a beach somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think it really speaks to authenticity to where you're thinking about 
know, is there a need first and foremost? And what are my motives? Is it purely self-serving? Mm-hmm. Is it affecting some greater you know, community or purpose out there? So I really like that fact. And I think it's something that, you know, even if your end goal is to make money off the company and flip it, sure. I think it really separates the the ones that are going to go somewhere and the ones that are going to fail, if you have that in mind. Totally agree. Monday, throughout this process, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Are you Enneagrammers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, can you guess what I am? What do you think I am? I don't know. I okay. don't know it well enough. To okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, I'm a four. I'm the, um, I'm, let's just say I'm a feeler. I feel all the things. So I would say that one of the biggest challenges for me, so this goes back to the, you know, just being incredibly vulnerable, is that I have a tendency to get my feelings hurt. And I think social media has a lot to do with it. I have such a love-hate relationship with social media. But I struggle sometimes when I see people around a table and I didn't get invited or, uh, uh, that I wasn't asked to collaborate on this idea or maybe I shared an idea and somebody ran with it, somebody ran with it, right? So I think sometimes because I feel a lot, I get my feelings hurt quite easily. I wound easily, so to speak. That has been the biggest challenge for me and I've become very aware of it and how I like Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, the armor up idea. Like those are triggers for me. Oh, and I just started to like create this armor around me. So it's something I'm very aware of and I'm aware of the triggers and I'm aware of the things that I need to do in my mind that like shift that perspective. And I went through this really great um, program not too long ago, College Springs Leadership Institute in my, and this pertains a little bit to my key leadership challenge. But I think also just in general for us, as leaders, like we can't just assume like just because I see somebody sitting around a table on social media, like I just can't assume I need to just ask, right? Just don't sit back and wait for people to ask or invite you. Like if it's something you really care about, it's something you want to get involved in, just ask, right? Instead of just assume or get your feelings hurt. So that's a big challenge for me right now. And it's kind of funny that you, you mentioned that. And I think that's actually been a reoccurring theme on a lot of the people we've talked to is that that thought process of just ask just Mm -hmm. go out there and do it Mm -hmm. and the funny part to that is I think it's such an under realized thing like I can just ask somebody for Mm -hmm. something I don't have to do something special or jump through these hoops I can just go and ask so did it take you a while to be able to like you said armor up to be able to go out and just ask or figure out it was okay to just ask or how'd you, how'd you come to that conclusion? I mean, it's still a work in progress for, for sure. It's still a work in progress. Just recently I said, man, I'm just going to ask to be a part of that conversation, but it took some courage, right? Because you see all these other people around the table and you weren't asked and you're like, what's wrong with me? Just so silly, but I don't know. Which is the irony of this because I'm somebody who does not have a problem asking people to coffee. Stakeholder people. Like, I don't mind sitting down, like, going up to a certain person and be like, hey, will you grab coffee with me and just talk, share an idea with you? Or I just would love to get to know your story. So it's so interesting, the irony of, like, me feeling these, this awkward tension 
yet at the same time, I feel really confident in my own skin to go and approach people for these one-on-one conversations around coffee or, you know, just to learn more about their story. So I, I, I sound a little crazy right now, but there is this like tug in this uh, tug of war happening right now with me with all that. So, I mean, I think that is a good point too, and a good lesson for people to apply to themselves. You don't have to be this, you know, level 10 extrovert being able to give speeches to thousands of people to be able to go up and, you know, just utilize some of those things, just going up and asking shareholders or people that you're interested in talking to or, you know, anything really in general. So I think it's very reassuring that, you know, it doesn't take just one type of person to be able to do that and and get the benefits from it. Mm -hmm. Mundy, throughout your life, how has mentorship impacted you? I think mentorship looked a little differently throughout my life. I mean, I think, you know, you look at a young age, I'd say that my father, even up until his passing, right, he was a mentor to me. Or I look at, you know, I go to church. And so as a young girl, I'd look at my youth pastor as somebody who mentored me through life. But I think that it wasn't until like the last six or seven years as I've deep dived into this community and gotten really involved that I've really understood what mentorship means. So you asked this question about one resource and my answer was a trusted friend, whether that be a, you know, a mentor um, or somebody who's willing to go through life, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, I found that mentorship to me in particular in this new season has been somebody It's not necessarily about somebody who's willing to sit down and look at your spreadsheets and your budget and tell you whether or not you're on track or not. For me, mentorship has been sitting down with somebody and allowing them to let me just cry or sit and ask hard questions. Just, it's been vital almost into, because I feel like in particular the last few years have been kind of survival mode for me. In a lot of ways, people look at mentorship as like, oh, it's this tenured senior at this company and he's going or she's going to be a pivotal role in how I move myself up the ladder or how I engage with this person or that person in the community. And yes, that's important. But for me, mentorship means just having this foundation in somebody who's willing to walk life with you. So Monty, you're definitely like you said, more on that right brain type, mm-hmm. a very creative person. And you have a lot of you know, accolades and awards and you've started a lot of things. So I think in today's day and age, you see a lot of people assuming that leadership means being this very type A dominant personality. So what's your leadership style and how do you see yourself uh, leading but still be uh, true to your creative side as well? I honestly never set out or did I ever see myself as being... Uh, a leader, let alone a leader in the community. I've always, as you mentioned, I've been a creative since I can remember, but I do care and I, I have passions and I want to see things. I want to be a part of a challenge that moves a needle forward, whatever that looks like. And so it's been a challenge, a welcome challenge being in this community and being part of leadership and still maintaining that creative space. There are, there are seasons when the creative side of me sits a little dormant and there are times where it comes alive. And I do feel like it comes alive in the projects in which I launch or conceptualize. It's interesting because I, I truly like struggle with that question because I don't 
yes, I know I'm a leader and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that in this community, but I, to stay true to who I am, like that piece of me, that creative side of me, there, there always will be this tug and pull that I just want to make sure that the creative side of me, whether it stays a little dormant or not, like that is a piece of my DNA. There was a really great opportunity not too long ago, but it did make sense for me, but it was for artists who were interested in going into politics. And no, I'm not saying that I'm going into politics, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was based, I think it was out of Chicago. And it's this really great program for people who are creatives to really understand just the political space. I mean, I got maybe two C's ever in my life and one of them was in political science. So I was drawn to the idea of understanding because I do think it is important as a creative to really, yes, a lot of times creatives, we get behind social justices and and we have a heart for people. But sometimes I think we do a disservice in ourselves not really understanding other, like how a city ticks, like how a city's run. And um, so that's one of the challenges for me as I move forward in leadership to one, have that balance, make sure that that piece of that creative side of me um, stays alive, but also really starting to challenge myself to really understand how Colorado Springs ticks and what that looks like for me moving forward. But yeah, it's been an interesting ride. I, I did not think that I'd be in leadership as a creative, but I'm grateful for it and I will continue to be grateful for it and use my platform for good and do good things. And I really love how you brought up challenging your own thought process especially when it relates to politics, because I don't want to get too deep into yes. it. But in today's world, you see a lot of people who are just so polarized in not just politics, but any kind of ideology mm -hmm. and just realizing that, hey, maybe I should look at my own thought process, realize that there's just a wide array of realities in the world and how things work and just being able to keep an open mind about it. So I think that's a really positive idea to move forward with. Yeah, Mundy, thank you for sharing your wisdom in your story. We're going to transition into our bullet questions. So recommend one resource that's helpful for you in everyday life. A trusted friend. And what is one book that you recommend? Oh, I had a hard time with this one. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm, it's three part for me. I'm sorry. So I enjoyed uh, deep diving into the Enneagram. So Sacred Enneagram and Brene's latest Dare to Lead. I read that in a book club. I'm currently reading it again. A book also that I'm reading is called Grit. And for fun, any Rupi Kaur poetry. Well, Mundy, thank you again for being on this episode. It was such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Share one parting piece of wisdom, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. I would just encourage your challenge, especially any young professionals listening, to give it a shot. Try. Maybe you will fail forward. Maybe you will go big places, but I just want to encourage uh, you to try and, and I'd love for you to try in Colorado Springs because we have a really great uh, community um, who's incredibly supportive and really gets behind. I really feel like they just get behind new ideas and, and people and I just, I've never been a part of a more supportive community. So give it a try. And to get in touch, as mentioned before, I'm launching a venue and bar, Almagre. You can find the website almagrecollective.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me, hello at almagrecollective.com. I love coffee dates. I love sharing my story. I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm your biggest advocate in that. Give it a try. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on this episode. Thank you. This is John Mark. And this is Brent. Signing off. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Attitude Check with Mundy Ross. I really enjoyed this conversation with her. She is a good conversationalist, but she's also very vulnerable. And I really appreciate that as well because I think it's rare nowadays that you see people being so authentic, true to themselves, and vulnerable with people, especially in these deeper, long-form conversations. You know, with today's world and social media, everyone has a wall up, everyone has a facade up trying to show their best life. So it's really refreshing when you're actually able to see someone being vulnerable with you and just being so down to earth. We talked about it multiple times in this episode. Monday is starting a venue and bar called Amalgre. And the grand opening for that is on August 28th. So be sure to mark your calendars. We are so excited for it to open and both Brent and I will be at that grand opening. Be sure to tap that subscribe button on your favorite podcast hosting platform. Because let's face it, you know you want to. And be sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you like this podcast. We really appreciate the feedback. Be sure to check back every first, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. This month we'll be releasing another monthly check-in on the last Tuesday. Thank you so much to our listeners that share our episodes on social media. We really appreciate it. And check us out on social media, both Facebook and Instagram, at Attitude Check Podcast to stay up to date with what we're doing and to check out new forms of content. You can get in contact with us either by messaging us on Instagram or Facebook or sending us an email at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much and we'll catch you next time.